I'm Michael Dunn, and you're listening to Oregon Rainmakers on KLCC. My guest today is John Stapleton, principal and architect at Pivot Architecture. Pivot has designed many impressive buildings and spaces in our community, including Fire Station 1 in Eugene, MX Bus Rapid Transit, and Crescent Valley High School in Corvallis. John Stapleton, uh, principal and architect at Pivot Architecture. Thanks for coming in and talking to us. Thanks. Appreciate the opportunity. Yeah. You know, tell us about Pivot, what you do, what your mission is, kind of maybe talk about some of the big projects you've done around town. Give us the whole, uh, <laughs> the 50 cent tour. Okay. Well, I'll make, the, I'll make it as quick as I can. Okay. Um, so we have been around for dogs years, 70 <laughs> years. We've wow. been in the community. Uh, we're very place-based architecture practice. We uh, come from a place of service and community. Mm-hmm. So almost all of our projects have to do with some aspect of that. Um, we have a crew of about 30 or 35, somewhere in there. Okay. Um, and we have kind of different studios uh, within the larger practice. There are studios. One is, for example, Transit. Okay. Transit is a design studio. Now, that particular one is regional. They hmm. work everywhere. On, they're all Western states. Okay. Um, we do affordable housing. We do civic projects. Um, if you look around town, you will see us everywhere. The downtown <laughs> Fire Station, the mm-hmm. MX lines. Um, so with a lot of public projects and public partners. We really care a lot about values and value alignments. Um, We think that it's important that our staff work on projects that feed their passion and make them the best selves every day. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we want to do things that are relevant and connected and meaningful and matter to the community. Yeah. You know, working with municipalities, you know, pu- public projects and stuff. Talk about that, because I imagine it, it has its it benefits, as you talk about. It's something that, that, that is incredibly important to the community, but I imagine it has its challenges as well. It does, and I don't mean to imply we don't work in the private sector. Sure. Just side note. Sure. <laughs> we do we do, we do, do a, f- a fair amount of that as well. The, pu- the public projects are the most visual mm-hmm. Uh, apparent ones because everyone experiences them like lots of people have written MX and we do schools yeah thousands of people experience those uh, the, the the challenge and the really satisfying part about that is that is a collective action and if done properly the voices of the, all the folks who are stakeholders are heard mm-hmm. and part of our job as we see it is to help everyone understand what that means how to do it effectively um, and that can be tough because <laughs> you're whenever you see me coming something's about to change yeah and and not everybody loves the idea of things changing how do you work with the client let's say it's a public entity and stuff and you know in in terms of that because you know i imagine like you just said a lot of people sort of resist change or, or are concerned because obviously, you know, so much of what you do, unlike, you know, say what I do, you know, the radio broadcast ends and it, it's on its way to Mars. What you do is, is, is very permanent or at least has, a, has an incredibly long shelf life, if you will. I imagine there's a lot of, um, I don't know, the, the phrase might be not handholding, but just assurances about, you know, your mission and, and that you want to put the best product possible because you realize you know it's going to be there for quite some time yeah our work is really really scrutinized (laughs) i bet i bet (laughs) every little part of it will be questioned by somebody and often by highly intelligent motivated folks not all of whom are in agreement we ought to even be doing what we're doing (laughs) which is fine i think a healthy civic discourse around how our shared resources are deployed Mm -hmm. is the is a good thing yeah um, nonetheless, decisions have to be made and students need to be housed and all of that needs to happen. And so one of, our, one of the key things we really care a lot about is 
are we hearing all the right voices? Hmm. Who, who is going to be impacted but is not present? How do we understand them? How, how do we help the folks who are, so the agency who is going to do what they got to do, be their best self because we want them to win. We are really, we are very relationship based. We yeah. tend to stay with our customers a long time. I think we've been a county, the uh, architects for the county, not, not their only one, but we do a lot of county work for mm-hmm. 40 years. Wow. Same with LTD. We've been with LTD since they were tiny. Yeah. Grew up together. Their success is our success. Yeah. So we have a, we seek a collaborative environment where they know we care about their win. We're not in it to get design awards Mm -hmm. or to get paid. We just want them to win. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of that, that shared empathy piece is a key in way, in one of the ways that we see our practice as different. Okay. Yeah, one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you and, and talk about Pivot is because I've always been fascinated with sort of the profession of, of architect. Because, you know, to a layperson, it, it, it seems like it's kind of this interesting mix of, you know, art and science. And I wanted to hear from you kind of what makes a good architect. I imagine a lot of it has to do with vision, but of course it has to have the, the very nuts and bolts understanding of, of what, you know, what a structure can, can, can be like from ground up. Uh, yeah, you nailed it. It's a very, very complex profession, mm-hmm. which for, for most of us, I would say, I don't speak for every architect, most of us are kind of serial project people. <laughs> we want to do a thing and finish it. And mm-hmm. if uh, for me, the, as kind of an obsessive lifelong learner, if I just did a thing and I fully understood it and then I had to repeat that thing every day, I would be, that would be hard for me. Hmm. A lot of architects are like that. And so each time we do a project, it's almost theoretically and 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 practically unique Hmm. every building is being built for the first time and so and every community is a little bit different yeah so the the camas ridge community where we're building the elementary school is a little bit different from the um howard and river road elementary school communities and their voices should be expressed in different ways so we have a lot of let's figure out how we understand the need Mm -hmm. That's probably the most difficult and takes the most years to master. <laughs> Drawing the need and the community knowledge out. The technical pieces are hard. It takes you 20 years to learn them, but they're sort of a known quantity. Sure. So the first half of your career, you're really buried in that. Okay. How do I understand how a building goes together and how all the trades, there could be 500 people working on one of these projects. They all have to understand the same vision from our documents of vision. That's tough. And then the second 20 years or farther, depending on how long you practice, is all about understanding the need and connecting a, a truly fulfilled design mm-hmm. to that. That's the way we practice. Now, not everybody does that. They're sure. like Starchitect types who like, this is my vision, <laughs> take it or leave it. Starchitect, is that what you said? Interesting. <laughs> right. You know them. They, yeah. they, do the, they do these iconic, very iconoclastic okay. pieces that are all about a vi- a, an individual's vision for the artistic expression of the building. Okay. We do community connected. Like we want to build a building around the community's vision. Okay. So it's so important to understand what that is, because if you misunderstand it, you come up with a piece of, of functional living art that is a misfit. Hmm. And that's a bummer. That's, <laughs> you hear about it. Sure, <laughs> you I bet you do. understand us. This yeah. didn't work. Well, it's interesting because what you're describing, uh, and maybe I'll, I'll use myself as an example. I might have had a stereotype of what an architect is and very immersed in you know computer work and design and stuff, but it sounds like just as important is understanding people. 
Well, the whole thing is people, man. <laughs> <laughs> the technical aspect is really, really fascinating, and a lot of us have a technical brain around it. Mm-hmm. I love science, mm-hmm. particularly space and, and <laughs> cosmology and those kinds of things. Um, but we, we love the science side of it, that that is the easier and more containable component of our knowledge set. Okay. You can just go to lots of school and you take sure. lots of follow-up education you get all that the real art it comes in the people like how do you take all that science and all of that power of that technology and harness it for good mm-hmm. that translation of that is the is the artistic component like art is really good at understanding people environment all of those really hard to get to gray areas and expressing it in beautiful and original ways yeah so that's kind of how it gets married. The art or we do has to connect with people. Okay. And so that's, it's, it's half the job. The second half of your career oftentimes is what is that? And what does it mean? Okay. Is there, as an architect, is there tension between, I guess I'd, I'd say tension between the ideal and the workable and i guess i you know if that makes sense between what i imagine your brain and your team's brain could come up with amazing things but then you realize oh okay obviously budget's going to limit it space might limit it you know how, how do you how do you work that out that's a great question <laughs> uh, and i'm not just saying that as a stall they that is that was a really important truth that was revealed to us as we were reevaluating our practice hmm. years ago. And it was the, the beginnings of that truth was revealed by some of our founders okay. who were just instinctively community connected. Okay. And they would say, how do we find out the truth? Hmm. Which is what you're trying to reveal in the art, right? And so all of those things you described are problematic if you don't have your, your, your arms around the truth of what you're trying to do. So let's say we're trying to do affordable housing project. Okay. If someone just says, do me five, f- five story buildings and they should look cool. We're going to have a lot of struggles around the aesthetic. That okay. thing you just talked about the yeah. expression of it. What's, what's in, what's out, why, uh, as opposed to here are the humans we are going to serve. These are their needs, their aspirations, their lives. And we're going to draw that from them and say that our goal now is express those things in the art. Okay. Suddenly you have this rubric against which your decisions can be made. Mm-hmm. This aesthetic is serving that need or it isn't. Okay. So it, it really simplifies stuff. And budget is just, but, but resource allocation is in every single moment. Sure. Because these are public resources. They have to be al- allocated efficiently, but not in a prison-like or depressing setting. Mm. You need to, they need to be beautiful and the people need to flourish within them but also <laughs> so that tension exists around yeah. the resources and the vision but less so the vision versus what the community wants okay. we've been working on that a lot and i think really successfully over the past few years okay this may be an unfair question because it's sort of like you know which one which one is your favorite child but if you could talk about a project that that if it's not your favorite maybe you can talk about you know what what the final product looked like and and and, and the pride around that or maybe the pride around the process from getting from, you know, drawing to, to actual facility. Oh boy. I mean, we have so many and I'm proud of all of them in their own way, but I'm going to talk about a, like a larger process, Okay. which is sort of a dodge, but you, you'll get it. All right. Um, we have been working with our local school district for J for decades mm-hmm. since the, you know, mid seventies. Um, 
they have been trying to figure out as they're growing up, what is the best teaching and learning environment for our students to succeed in? And there are a lot of voices in that space, as you can I well bet. imagine, right? There are a lot of different kinds of students, a lot of different communities, neighborhoods, yet the system needs to serve them all. Starting in 2000, we had a vision and we helped them evolve that vision. What do the educational planners want? What do the practitioners want? How do the students need that? Um, that has never stopped. There is a program of continuous improvement the district has committed to over the decades through all their leadership, through their different elected officials. And uh, for example, um, we started in 2000 with the vision of what elementary school looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, that, as you can imagine, has changed a lot. Like there's concerns around safety have com- evolved a lot in the last sure. years. So we went back and we asked everybody in those buildings since that we'd built since 2000 under that um, process, how's it going? <laughs> really asked them. We surveyed them all. We sent teams to the schools. We talked to every, practically every teacher, many, many students, lots of parents. From that, we drew, these things need to change. <laughs> that was so rewarding. And so like, if you look at the, new, the newest school, Camas Ridge, which mm-hmm. is going up right now, yeah. we heard very clearly some of the stuff in the last round that you did didn't work for us. <laughs> Also, some stuff did. We don't want to, we, we want to stay in the aspirational state as much as possible because you don't want to just encourage people to feel bad about stuff. Okay. So what's really great? Don't get rid of the great stuff. Make everything great. So the evolution of that, attaching community values to the art, expressing that in the best way we can, and seeing it over the last two decades going from kind of all over the place hmm. Which, if you look back at all of 4J school buildings, you can see every school of <laughs> facility design. Sure. Some of them are circles. Some of them are H-shaped. Some of them are bars. Yeah. Uh, now you see a voice. Okay. And that voice are the people inside telling us what they wanted. So that process was amazing yeah. and so rewarding. And, and even though we get yelled at sometimes, like people don't understand or agree, it sure. still feels really good when those students go in. And the teachers go in and they have their tools. Yeah, yeah, that's great. We're going to take our first break. We're talking with John Stapleton. He is a principal and architect at uh, Pivot Architecture. We'll be right back. I'm Barbara Dellenbach, host of KLCC's Oregon Grapevine. Lauren Kessler is an author of books, magazine articles, and essays. Her genre is described as narrative nonfiction. It's real people doing real things in real life, reported, but presented in a storytelling fashion. So it's fact with an overlay of story. Listen to perspectives on the value of insights and experiences learned through writing on KLCC's Oregon Grapevine at klcc.org. We're back talking to John Stapleton. He is a principal and architect at Pivot Architecture. Um, boy, it's funny. We, we might be around the same age, and I know when I was a kid, schools seemed much more institutional, and now it's amazing. Like you described, it's they're beautiful. I mean, some of the new, new ones coming up are, are beautiful, and you can certainly see the functionality. It's interesting to talk to you about, you know, kind of the process of, of gathering all this input and whatnot. But it also extends to so many other things. Talk about, I mean, you're obviously very involved with the new YMCA, which is really going to be a community asset. Talk a little bit about that. Talk about, you know, in addition to building something from from scratch, talk about when you take an existing structure and don't knock it down and renovate it. Nice. I'd love to talk about all those things. (laughs) Thanks. Um, So the YMCA passion project, Mm. it serves, that system serves so many of our 
region's youth, and, and our kid's a Y kid. Yeah. So we care about We're a them. Y family. We <laughs> yeah, care about them both personally mm-hmm. and as, a, as part of our uh, community support system for our families. Uh, sweet, sweet facility, man. Mm-hmm. It's going to be great. I can't wait till it opens because <laughs> I, I, I was a Y member for many, many years, yeah. and, and they so deserved better than they had. Sure. No, absolutely. They really, really did. They're amazing people doing amazing work, and we partnered with them partly because of that like yeah. we really care about them and we and we've been working on this project with them for at least a decade i'm going to say at least a decade mm. um in and out of all the oh so it was a lot a hell of a lift <laughs> undescribably hard and they pulled it off and we were there with them all the way through we, we believed in them and we do today that was really great um a uh, side note I'll just getting back to the uh, notion of uh keeping things when you don't need to throw them away. Uh, we have a really, really strong culture of stewardship and gl- and kind of global environmentalism. We want to think about what are we doing every day to make this a little bit better world, both in those areas of community building and, and humans uh, s- uh, thriving, but also, just as importantly, all the other species. Yeah. Because without them... No us, right? Yeah we, yeah, we believe, you know, global warming is real. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, species are dying. We have got to act every day in our practice. So we have teams of folks in our office that work on those projects. How can we do this better? How do we get the toxics out? How do we, you know, we worry about things like microplastics. We worry a lot about carbon. Mm. Been worrying about carbon for a while. Yeah. Because like, buildings are a huge consumer of carbon. Uh, and so we're actively working those solutions. One of the key tenets that our green team, which is our shorthand for our whole sustainability crew, which is a lot of folks, mm-hmm. said, don't throw stuff away. <laughs> like, it, it, recycling is fine and dandy. It's better than throwing it straight into the dump. Sure. So a lot of our practice is about keeping things. And it turns out they're way more awesome anyway. <laughs> if you have something where there's a character within it, an old building, a site, a community, Instead of stamping a new thing on them that has a different character and is setting a different tone, you draw out their traditions. Okay. And so our renovation work is about discovering that and drawing it out. And you can see that in our offices if you ever get a chance to visit. Yeah. Someone like yourself, can you look at a building, an old building, and say, oh, I, I, I can see that that can be preserved. And, you know, is, is, is that a gift that you, because I'm going to talk about your career and how you came to this. And I, you know, I imagine some of it is, you know, that old nature versus nurture, you know, idea. But I mean, you're kind of born with that sense of, of being able to look at a building where someone like me might just see a building, but you can see a story. Uh, well, it, it'd be cool if it was somehow a, a genetic trait. <laughs> I think it's a predisposition, maybe. Okay. Um, so I came to this a little bit differently. I was a general contractor hmm. when I started in the industry but more broadly and became enamored with the design side of it. And okay. I was a design-build general contractor, and then I became a, a, an architect. So um, buildings have always been... And in my life, I've started as a, a carpenter's uh, laborer when I was 14 in the trades, and I've worked from there to here. So, sh- so buildings probably do look different for me. I can't tell you, really, because they always <laughs> it's it's always internalized in my mind. They're fungible. In other words, they, they are malleable. They okay. live, right? You can, you can make them into anything you want. Okay. 
Um, the tricky, I mean, I think the art part of it that I've really gotten better at as an architect is recognizing what parts are valuable. Okay. Okay. And understanding that. Yeah. Cause I think, you know, maybe all of us, you know, if we're homeowners or, or have, have worked in business, you know, at different categories, there's this, I don't know. And maybe it's mythology about, oh, it's, it's so much easier to start from scratch than to redo something. And I, 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 I'm, I'm fearful that you know, maybe that's the wrong way to look at it. Well, you're asking the wrong guy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> because it mostly is better to keep what you can keep. Hmm. Okay. Um, and as our environment, as our built environment becomes denser, which you've seen it all around us, go over with U of O. Sure. It's taller, it's denser. The The amount of investment in infrastructure around one of these, real, the denser things is significant. Okay. So okay. uh, you hit a single family dwelling, yeah, maybe if it's like cost more to renovate it than it would to build something new, that's an impact on the world. Yeah. A big building, huge, right? All of those tons of concrete being demolished, all, all of that stuff being thrown away. Uh, and in general, you lose a certain character of place when you remove something. Okay. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's good, like yeah. Pruitt, I go in St. Louis, which are horrible projects that they need to go, <laughs> right? Versus some of our buildings we've lost downtown probably would have enhanced our character yeah. and, and deepened our connection to the past if we had just worked on them instead of giving up. Okay. Well, I want to take you back to a question, you know, it's kind of how you got started. You, you were said you were in, you were in, uh, you know, on the contractor side, what was it specifically that just kind of made you say, no, I, I really want to be on the design side. Was it a particular project or was it just, you know, just after a certain period of time you figured, Hey, I, 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 I want to be on this side. Uh, well, I, I grew up in a tiny marketplace in the Midwest. Okay. Okay. <laughs> where there were not a lot of designers. Okay. If you wanted to build a house, you called a contractor. Okay. And so people would say, I've got, you know, I saw this at a home show or I look, here's a magazine picture of the house I want. Uh, and so we would just set off trying to figure that out on the backs of envelopes and whatnot. And so, so I didn't realize being an architect was the thing I always wanted to do. Started practicing it in this slightly off-brand way. Mm-hmm and found that part of it was really fascinating to me. Okay. Like how you figure it all out ahead of time. What do things mean? Why are you doing them? Uh, that just, that was very compelling to me. I also really enjoyed the craft though. I, st- I kind of miss that part. I work on my own house. She, my, my wife Tiffany would, will, will commiserate that <laughs> there's always part of our house that's being renovated in some way. <laughs> um, but the, the craft is a very, it's kind of a personal expression. Okay of what you're doing and the and architecture is a community expression if that makes sense yeah it does it does and the community expression component became more and more compelling the older i got like i cared a lot more about how we're all doing this together okay okay is there a particular type of project that you like the most i know i asked you about your favorite and I, you don't have to necessarily you know talk about a particular project but i mean obviously you do a lot with education spaces and stuff is that something that's your favorite or is it just it, it just depends it, it, it can fill fill a a whole bunch of different categories. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think they're all amazing when they're done properly. So it is not always the case that you can align the stars and make these things satisfying. Okay. There's sometimes you just can't. It's the human condition, right? Like there's a lot of people that need to come to agreement in a short amount of time. You have to reach that aspirational state. Sometimes you just don't. 
and you get a project and it's fine. Mm-hmm. But for somebody like us, uh, well, for me, like a transit project could take years. For sure. Our transit groups worked on, pro, like we worked on the PMLR up in Portland for, I want to say, seven or eight years. Wow. So if you put that amount of your career into something, you really want it to matter. Now, in sure. that case, totally. That was a huge community-wide thing. It was really amazing. So it's not so much the building typology or, or the sector that it's in. It's, it's how do we get there? So it could be a private owner who wants to do an amazing uh, uh, retail hospitality center piece, but they're doing all the right things to get there. Mm -hmm. Or it could be a school district that wants to build the best school they can. It's just about the people that show up and how they show up in the space. Mm -hmm. When it's amazing, it's like nothing else. You uh, you can't replicate it. Sure. You're in the, the middle of the creative fever of all the ideas and the possibilities and everyone's excited and they're seeing a future that looks bright okay that's that's the part that's amazing sure again i um, folks earlier in their careers who are in the technical myths would probably differ (laughs) in the the way they talked about this okay but for me that meta piece yeah is the hardest and the most rewarding part once you get that the building springs up around it okay and that's fun, but it's also kind of a given. Like, it's easier for me. I've done that so many times sure. that I don't get the joy and the depth of it that I do around understanding the, the, the process at the beginning. Okay, okay. You've done this for quite some time. Do you feel like, in addition to insiders such as yourself, do you feel like, and I'll sp- speak specifically about our community, that the embracing of sustainable building and and being able to build something that 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 can have less of a carbon footprint do you feel like it's it's sort of finally made this toehold that that most of us are are kind of moving in that direction oh boy um let's say we're i'd say we're on a continuum okay okay you know there yeah there are folks that really really care a lot uh, and 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 how you care is also important. So I'll give you an example. That's sure. kind of a vague thing. Um, we work a lot. I'll just call out one of our partners, the 4J School District, mm-hmm. with them about what's the real green solution. Yeah. There's the demonstrated or performative aspect of sure. green, right? Sure. Uh, and then there's the reality is you draw a pie chart of a building. There's a tiny slice that goes from, say, noon to... Uh, five minutes afternoon, if it's clock face, mm-hmm. that's the resources required to build the building. Okay. The whole rest of the clock face is the operation of the building. Mm. That is where all the energy is being expended. So you can spend your resources making the build piece of it appear green, and the, all the rest of the dial is just pouring heat out the door. You're not getting those things. So we talk a lot with our willing partners about how do you operate? Mm-hmm. Did we create a thing so complicated you can't operate it? Hmm. In theory, the engineers are like, you could get an amazing performance out of this, but okay. in reality, it's so complicated you can't use it. So our elementary schools of 4J are super efficient mm. with off-the-shelf stuff because they operate them well. Okay. Okay. That's so that's it's nuanced in yeah. that way. You can it's not they're not demonstration projects. They don't have green roofs or some of those other things where you're like, yay, that looks green. Mm-hmm. But when you dig under and you look at the amount of energy those buildings use and how often you have to put inputs in to keep them maintained, they're amazing. Yeah, they last a really long time. They don't take a lot of resources to keep up, and they operate really efficiently. That's not everybody's goal. Okay, right. Uh, but from our perspective, we want to talk about always being in reality 
with the with a sustainable piece. Okay. Are we reducing carbon really, or are mm. we pretending we're doing? It? <laughs> right? Did you yeah. look? It's like, oh well, I got this exotic material that from the source looks really low, but when I look all the transportation costs, it's not. Mm. So you really got to dig in because the truth isn't going to present itself. You have to go find it, and uh, in that respect. As people understand and agree on what sustainability is, Eugene is really progressive. Okay, okay. That was a long way of getting around no, to the answer. That's right. But, no, but it's true. Like, as they understand it, they do care. Yeah. Like, people around here care. We're a progressive community, and it matters to us that we not be screwing the world up for our sure. kids. Sure, sure. How do you feel the community embraces aesthetic I, you know i i asked that like this because <laughs> eugene seems to be and I'm, I'm i'm picking on not picking on i'm signaling out G- eugene i know you work in many other spaces but obviously you know there are for every person you talk to there are opinions about the look of eugene some people feel like it, it's still pretty grungy some people say wow there's been a lot of change and i imagine when you build something it can be um, somewhat aspirational, i.e. it could be something that because it's built, others might look around and go, ooh, that really looks nice. We better get our act together. Is that kind of the role to some degree is, is, is put something up that's wonderful so that the rest of the community might say, yeah, we need to, you know, we need to follow that example. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You elevating the car, the art conversation is a crucially important to me. Per, I don't want to speak for the whole firm in this. Okay. I care a lot about art. I think that art expresses the soul of the community, that artists should, is, should be integrated. It is a very important part of everything we do. Uh, it is not frivolous. And so the aesthetic or the artistic presentation of, of the built environment matters in crappy rundown horrible communities people don't feel as good Mm -hmm. you have more broken windows you have more crime and it's well documented there's data behind all this stuff Um, and so we try hard every time to understand what beautiful looks like to the people who are going to be there not what we think it is Mm -hmm. because we have gone awry past (laughs) as architects you know just generally and thinking we know the answer to those questions and we're going to present that to you and you're going to accept it Uh, so i'm going to call out a couple of things like mx is national leader mm-hmm. in, in communities of this size rmx system is very highly evolved we have such convenient easy to use mass transit if you look at those stations those are a national model okay they're really cool yeah uh, and then in smaller scale we just finished a project up with this amazing community uh, uh educational program called uh, spark lab and they work with all kinds of youth across the whole county, usually folks that are having a hard time accessing economic opportunity. Sure, sure. Amazing. Yeah. And we uh, built them out of space both here in downtown Eugene and over in Springfield that are super cool. They're educational them, yeah, and yeah, industry, yeah. and they're exciting, and, mm-hmm. they're, and they're, it's just a great space to be in. Yeah. That elevated everyone else's expectations about what ed spaces need to look like that, that are doing this. And so we take our people there and look, Look how happy the kids are. Look how amazing this is. You know, look how well this is working. And then they go away thinking, we can do better. We can. If you don't have that success story to show, you just can't convince folks to go the extra mile on the investment or to change their mindset. So in that way, it is crucial that we're always pushing the limit and understanding how to, you know, infuse joy and art into everything we do. Yeah, yeah. Well, John, my, my last question for you is kind of this, and it, it sort of is about the name of the firm. You know, Pivot obviously has a lot of connotations around engineering and whatnot, but it also means to change, to change directions. And so my question is, and certainly listening to you speak, it sounds like 
you and your firm are very flexible and and even malleable in 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 how you do your business and i, I just want to ask you is i imagine that's pretty important isn't it uh, yes, and and we have we have values that we cleave to, okay. and those are non-negotiable. Okay, right? We're not going to do things that don't align with those value values. Uh, these are values everyone can embrace, by the way. Okay, uh, but we serve. That's our our model is service. Instead of let me bring you an intellectual exercise that I have created with, inside myself or inside my firm, and you will either accept or not accept it. We want to serve the people we work with. What do they really need? And that mm-hmm. requires you to constantly pivot, <laughs> right? You have to, we, we can't have a way we do it, right? Okay. Like there's no pivot way of designing a building. There is a, there is a pivot value alignment. Like we care about these things, you care about these things, together we're gonna discover the, the artistic expression. So it kind of came from this, don't get stuck in your ways. <laughs> do not, because one of the complaints we often hear from customers about our industry as a whole is that it seems inaccessible and difficult and architects kind of dictatorial in hmm. space. They're inflexible. They want to do things the way they want to do them. We don't like any of that. Hmm. We want folks to come into our shop, go through a process and go, that was about me. Hmm. And when we succeed, that's what they say, or we'll hear it in the way they talk about it. Like, uh, you know, the, the agency lead will say, in our project, our design looked like this, and here's why. That's we succeeded. Huh. It's theirs. Okay. And that means we are constantly swiveling and moving in all different <laughs> risks. COVID unfortunately ruined our, our originality of pivot <laughs> as a word. <laughs> sure. But that's that's an operational and philosophical reality for us. Okay, great. Well, John Stapleton, the uh, principal and architect at Pivot Architecture, really enjoyed learning more about architecture, and I really appreciate you coming in and talk to us. Thanks a lot. Appreciate you having me. That was our conversation with John Stapleton of Pivot Architecture and our discussion about architecture and creating a sense of place. This has been the Oregon Rainmakers podcast on KLCC. I'm Michael Dunn, your host. Thanks for listening.